I'm Chris Garcia. And I'm Rhonda Solis. And, and we're, we're Latino, Latino Northern, Northern Colorado. Colorado. Today, we're so happy to host Dr. Olivia Rios. Dr. Rios is a licensed psychologist who provides affirming and empowering counseling services to those who hold marginalized identities, their communities, and their allies here in the state of Colorado. Her clinical work focuses on helping people of color identify sources of power and oppression to build awareness of how these impact overall well-being and success. She works from an empowerment stance, helping people come into their own strengths, and she supports them as they navigate different sources of oppression. As a first-generation college graduate, Latina woman, she understands the positive impact that working with therapists of color can have on the development and well-being of underserved populations and hopes to contribute to the success of individuals and their communities to increase access to mental health services and to decrease the stigma surrounding mental health. Dr. Rios, thanks so much for being with us and for speaking on what can be seen as a very taboo topic in the Hispanic and Latino community. Today, we'll start with a list of questions that we came up with, but this is a conversation, so we might dive a little deeper on some questions, and we might not so much on others. But again, welcome, and I'd like to start off by asking you, what is mental health and how is it defined? Chris and Rhonda, thank you so much for having me. It's, not, it's an honor to be here. Mental health, um, it's essentially our non-physical internal wellness. It's how we feel. It's the way that we think about ourselves, how we think about others and the world around us. It's our emotional reactions to events um, and things like energy levels and motivation, um, as well as how we navigate and show, show up in the world, such as in relationships, how we connect to others, and how we go about getting our, our needs met. Um, and I know I just mentioned sort of the, the internal pieces, um, but it's also very much tied to our physical wellness. And typically when we, we see one of those impacted, the other one is impacted. So if we experience something like a concussion, oftentimes we see that, that folks will experience things like depression and anxiety or vice versa. If we're um, experiencing like really high stress or something really emotionally intense, we'll often feel that in, in our physical body. So um, we can see it as the internal pieces of our wellness, but it's very much all tied together. And so how is mental health measured? I mean, are there multiple ways you can measure it? And is it even supposed to be measured? That's a great question. So traditionally, psychology has followed a medical model. And historically, what that means is that there's been an emphasis on illness and what is going wrong, um, and subsequently curing and fixing what is wrong, right? So sort of like in, in the physical way, you would cure an illness. So um, the other piece of that is that mental health symptoms have been measured in symptoms rather than experiences with an individual. And so this is this has in the past been devoid of a person's context or environment, right? So let me give you an example. Um, anxiety is seen as a mental health disorder that's comprised of several symptoms, such as persistent worry, restlessness, difficulty concentrating, irritability, and sleep disruptions. So from a medical perspective, the approach would be to find ways to cure these symptoms, and often that would be through medication, right? So from that lens, we're not really looking at the person. 
But nowadays, there's a greater emphasis on understanding a person's environment or situation. So for example, let's say that you're working for a boss who has a really uneven temper and you go into work every day and you don't know if you're going to get the happy boss, the angry boss, or the boss that's that's going to tell you that today is the day that you lose your job. Right? So for for any one of us, that would create a lot of anxiety going into work every day. So when we look at this larger context, we're shifting away from a disorder or something that is wrong within us to an expected and understandable reaction that any human being would experience in this situation. And so when we think about how, do you, how to approach this situation, this also gives us uh, more options of how to address it, whether it's changing jobs or asking for a transfer or being able to give somebody the coping skills to deal with that day-to-day anxiety. Um, and that's not to say that addressing the biological components through medication isn't helpful, um, but all of a sudden it helps us understand how the context and environment play a role in this very human experience rather than placing um, the, the the blame or responsibility with the, within the individual or assuming that there's something wrong with that person for what they're experiencing. So is it more like of a holistic, I guess, um, type of treatment is it like um not only is there medication but it's also understanding like the outside situations and then on top of that um is like therapy a part of this treatment as well is um maybe like vitamin you know like vitamin c walking outside and and getting you know a little bit of sunlight like are there other types of um things beyond medication that you that you focus on in supporting um customers or clients Absolutely. And so the field is taking more of a biopsychosocial approach. So biology is what's within this, right? And, and that can be addressed with medication, although it's not the only way. Um, for example, exercise can go a long way in helping uh, mental health. Uh, psychological, so the patterns and how we cope with things, how we view things. Then social and environmental, which is the situation essentially that you're in or kind of what's going on around you, right? And so in therapy, we can talk about all three of these domains and be able to tackle the anxiety or the depression or whatever it is from each of these three angles, which is going to be a lot more comprehensive and holistic than only looking at um, the biological or medical approaches to treating mental health. So it's certainly shifted um, quite a bit over the years. Um, And we, we also look at other factors. We look at client strengths as well as what's what's going wrong. We're also looking at what's going well. We look at the supports that they have. We look at how they're doing in their relationships. Um, we look at how they're functioning essentially in different areas of their lives as well. So the we're sort of zooming out and getting more of a complete and holistic picture of what are the, people. One of the things you mentioned was the environmental. When I heard you going through the list of, you know, do you need to change jobs or how do you approach that person that, you know, you're working with? Some of that is kind of around privilege. I mean, you have some people who just don't feel like they could change their job or, you know, speaking up or trying to deal with the situation, what could actually cost them their job. Um, and, and you see that a lot, especially with like people of color, uh, we are in positions and you're not supposed to rock the boat. You're not supposed to make waves. And so what's the next step when it's, you know, external and there's not, you kind of feel helpless, like you can't change it. Absolutely. So when when someone is unable to 
change their situation, um, oftentimes we'll shift to coping. What do we do to, to mitigate the impact or the damage that the situation is causing on a person? So something that we know from the research is that um, people will do a lot better in stressful situations when they have support around them, right? So if this is somebody who has a strong support system um, at home, whether it's family or even friends that, um, that this person can reach out to and support. <laughs> Absolutely, like like the two of you. Um, this will go a long way in helping mitigate some of the the, the harm from the situation. Um, we can also help with um, giving this person skills, for example, to manage the, the anxiety, whether it's um, breathing exercises because anxiety takes a really huge toll on our physical body, um, whether it's something like... Um, breathing exercises or even trying to shift how we're thinking about the situation. So sometimes getting folks in touch with um, the purpose of why they're there, whether it's for their family or to get their kids through school, um, being able to really highlight those, those values can help somebody make it through the day-to-day -day a little bit better. So, Dr. Rios, you talked a little bit about stress as, as part of this. How, how does stress impact our mental health? That's a great question. And the funny thing about stress is that we can actually have healthy levels of it um, because stress can, can actually motivate us and move us to action. Guilty of that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Which is the reason why most of us don't do our holiday shopping in April, which is why college students don't start the the 10-page paper, you know. Which until... is why some of us are late to work every day. <laughs> I'm in the stores. Me. I'm in the stores on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Absolutely, right? So we need at least a little bit of stress to to help us get going and and get us motivated to do some of these things. And it's a spectrum, right? So the other side of that is that you can have too much stress. And so when the body is in a state of too much stress, it's really draining on our physical, emotional, and mental resources. So imagine using your phone and putting a lot of demands on it. Maybe you're video chatting with a loved one. You're also using the Maps app. Maybe you're in the mountains uh, using the Maps app. Uh, maybe check, checking social media all at the same time. And so this is so taxing on your phone that the battery will run out quicker than just using one of those apps alone, right? Mm -hmm. So same thing with our bodies. Too much stress for too long, we're going to run out of juice too. And so we can we can start to lose motivation, to dread the things that we are doing. Um, we might start to try to avoid those things that we're doing. And if it goes on long enough, we can really start to feel it in our bodies and start to experience things like depression or anxiety. One of the things that we've done with the podcast is we've you know, interviewed a lot of leaders. And one of the commonalities is once, you know, people recognize you as a leader, then there's this other organization trying to get you on their board, or they want you to be part of this other group or, and you're like the go-to person. And so can you please kind of define burnout and how even like the pandemic has contributed to it? And sometimes even our ability to not say no, when we need to say no, can you kind of touch on burnout? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we end up saying yes to a lot of things and sometimes it's to our detriment. Absolutely. 
And so along the lines that I mentioned above, burnout is when you've been running on empty for far too long and the expectations that are placed on you, they have not let up or they've increased, which for a lot of us during the pandemic has happened where we have to shift and, and pivot and, and kind of adjust to a new normal. And so we, um, we not only have the day-to-day -day worries that we used to have before, whether it's paying rent or finding childcare, the, the normal things, but we've also added a lot of worries. And they're not just small worries, they're big ones, like risk of infection, um, the possibility of losing loved ones, job insecurity, housing insecurity. So our resources have been draining at a much quicker pace than before the pandemic. So in addition to that, many of the ways in which we would offset some of those stressors or blow off steam, we haven't been able to fully do, right? So things like take vacations, spend time with loved ones in the ways that we would like to, to even go outside or do enjoyable things on the weekends, these things have been really, really limited. And so all of this has, has led to many of us feeling burnt out, depleted mentally, emotionally, and physically. You know, I had a, a conversation with my mom. Um, this was like a, about a month ago. And we were talking about the pandemic and just, you know, feelings and, and all of those kinds of things. And she shared with me that, like, she was very, very afraid. And, like, uh, it wasn't something that she had shared with me, like, super openly. Um, but during this conversation, I think she felt vulnerable enough to be like, she was so afraid for her life. I mean, and, and for all of us, right. I mean, she has 10 grandkids. She has uh, three children, you know, just like she has an elderly aunt who she continuously like is checking in on. Um, and th there's just so much, I guess, like fear as, as a mother, right. As a grandmother. Um, and then a fear for oneself as well, because this is kind of, well, not kind of, this is life and death. It's, it's something that For like sure. people, um, don't always see, but you see, you know, 33 year old members of, you know, like family friends who are passing away um, from COVID and, and you wonder, you know, how long is this going to take? Am I going to be okay? Is it okay that I'm here? Right? Like mourning along somebody else. And, and, and how do you build that community when you you're so far away? And two things on that one, I just got off of a school board. I was on the school board for eight years. And one of my advice as I left was, you know, what we've been through, it was like, you know, triage and everybody's just been go, 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 go. And we've never taken time to just stop and unpack what we went through, what we dealt with, how it felt. And so my advice was to really take time to do that work um, because, I mean, we're still in it but I just don't want them to go too far where it's just go, 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 go. And we never kind of address, you know, what had happened. The other thing, when COVID first happened, a loved one of mine passed away and she had had to go to Arizona and that's where she passed away. So it was a video chat of saying goodbye. Oh and when goodness. I see those numbers of how many people, you know, have died of COVID, the very next thing I went to is all those different things that we normally go through and saying goodbye to somebody, we all, they all didn't have that. And just the trauma of all of those families not being able to say goodbye, how we normally would, or what, you know, that process would feel like normally is like gone. And you're just kind of putting things together. And just that trauma of that 
you know, times 700,000 people and families and just the impact of, of what that must be like in a, in a society, in a community, and how we heal each other through that. Absolutely. Random society hear about your loved one. Um, and it is a lot. It is, we are having multiple losses and our our environments just keep changing and all of this is adding up and we're we're not necessarily having the the time or the spaces to be able to pause and process and take time to heal and all of that accumulates it accumulates in the body and it accumulates um within our spirits too and we end up carrying that around and so i definitely agree that that pausing and being able to process through through this as we go along could be really helpful you know, this is a, a, a good opportunity. I, I have another question for you. And, you know, often in our community, in the Latino community, in the comunidad de habla hispanos, you know, like us people, um, we hear things like, I'm not crazy. Why would I go to therapy? Or will that even help? Or, and I'm even going to, because like, that's what you hear, right? Um, exactly. <laughs> why would I go? Right. Um, you know, what are some of those misconceptions about mental health that you might help us kind of demystify um, for our listeners or for our audience? Absolutely. Yes, I, I agree. I agree that that's the biggest misconception in our community, that you have to be crazy to, to see a, a therapist. Um, but therapy is actually for anyone who wants to grow to learn about themselves or to change how they feel, how they do things or their situation or how they relate to others, regardless of how big or small the issue is. If you don't feel well mentally and emotionally or things are not going well for you in a certain area of your life, counseling could likely help with that. Um, and I've helped people like on, on the whole spectrum of mental health, whether it's, um, whether it's concerns like I feel like I don't have purpose or motivation to my relationships are not going well, to helping people through difficult life events, to addressing trauma, all the way up to, to more um, severe complex mental health concerns, such as um, thoughts of suicide or hallucinations. So anyone can be helped with therapy and you, you certainly don't have to be um, on the, the more severe end of, of mental health um, to benefit and you know i'll share that um uh my nephew died in on april 25th of uh 2020 um he was in a car accident and it was right at the peak of the pandemic and um you know only 40 people were able to attend his funeral and um it it's just taken such a toll on on our family um i was asked to actually plan the funeral and um i can still feel it to this day um, but I, I, I took the time to go to therapy, um, afterwards because, uh, I have to say that like, I didn't feel like I would have the strength to do that. Um, nor, nor do I even understand that now. Um, but it was an opportunity to have, um, someone who is outside of a situation, um, really kind of, uh, speak to, uh, just like. You know, we we said in your in 
um, in, in your bio, like speak to the strengths that you might have, um, speak to the ability to just like grieve, speak to, um, you know, like, I think she heard me cry on, <laughs> on Zoom because it was Zoom therapy at the time um, for uh, like an hour. <laughs> um, but it was just a, a, a really good opportunity for me to, to kind of just um, experience um, experience a therapy that, that really helped me. And, and, and I continue telling, you know, the rest of my family and, and friends that, you know, again, the same, you don't have to be X, you don't have to have X issue. Um, it could help you in through any of your things. And, and, and I think like on top of that, I feel very privileged using a word that Rhonda spoke to in that I work at a university and I have access to, um, you know, therapy sessions, uh, for free as part of the benefits plan in my, in my institution. Um, but you know, that, that was really helpful to me. Absolutely. I mean, because one of the things that I witnessed with Chris is Chris is, you know, the, the person, the go-to person for everyone in his family. And a lot of times when you have something like this happen and it affects everybody, those normal people that you go to, you, you can't because they're already experienced their own grief. And when I was watching you, I was thinking of all those different levels. It's like, you have this grief for this nephew that you just adored and were so close to. And yet you're watching your sister who just lost a child and you're watching your mom who just lost a grandson. And there was so many levels. So I'm so so proud of you for doing that. Thanks. Absolutely. And, and even being able to model that to your family, that it's okay to reach out. It's something like grief. When we lose a loved one, it's so disorienting, right? And like, Rhonda, like you said, like the, the way that we reach out to others just shifts and changes. And there's so many changes going on. And, and, and at the beginning, we don't know how we're going to make it through, through the day with the person that we lost, right? And so having somebody um, on the outside that can guide you through that process, that can be there for you throughout that process can, can go a really long way in, in being able to move through the grief process. Exactly. And touching on this, I mean, what kind of barriers do you see impeding access to mental health and resources for Hispanic Latino identifying individuals? I mean, what, what are the main things that you've seen in your career and you see on a day-to-day -day basis that we need to make sure that we talk about as leaders and make sure that we have those conversations in our communities? Absolutely. Um, some of the, the barriers that come up, uh, logistics, right, so such as finances, um, receiving mental health services can be expensive, especially if, if you don't have insurance and have to pay out of pocket for sessions. It can add up, right? And, and therapy, um, typically sessions are weekly or every other week, depending on the complexity of the, the concern that you want to address, right? And so the, the fee per session can definitely add up really quickly. Um, also language barriers, um, sometimes even immigration yes. status when folks don't feel uh, safe enough, like they can reach out for services or uh, whether it will jeopardize their ability to to be in the U.S. Um, 
and other logistics like finding childcare and transportation too. Um, although now that we've um, we've been doing therapy over over Zoom, um, it's helped with the transportation pieces. But I would say that the the barrier that I hear most often from clients is that they want to work with a therapist who identifies as Latinx or Latino Latina. And so for a lot of folks, they want to work with a therapist who understands the culture and who understands those ways of relating rather than having to explain that to, to someone or feeling misunderstood or feeling judged for something that would be a normal part of the culture. And um, sorry, I apologize about that. When I didn't even think about that one, like I kind of went through the list of, you know, the transportation and stuff, but I didn't even think about if you're speaking to someone about something that's really close to you, but then you're after, you know, you have to explain culturally why you do that or how that happens or, you know, how that's been generational or, you know, just that whole process. I didn't even think of that. I have a friend who, um, from, from UNC, um, who spoke to a counselor and um, she's from the black and African diaspora. And she was saying that like um, she was sharing an experience as like oh, an immigrant woman from Africa and um, and the counselor could not comprehend the issue um and and really thought that it was something completely different um and 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 she was like no this is how our family were you know what i mean like these are the cultural norms in our in our in our experience um like i'm i'm talking to you about this problem that i have with classes right like um and how I cannot be at home to help my family right now. Um, and so like there was there was exactly that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, not being able to understand the, the context. Absolutely. And that's be frustrating. I mean, trying to mm-hmm. talk about your feelings is one thing, and that's hard opening up to someone, you know, maybe your first or second session. But then having to, you know, break it down at each session, that would be extremely almost another trauma. <laughs> Or you might just quit, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of people do after just a few sessions. And and so because historically Latinx folks have had less access to education, there are fewer therapists out there who identify as Latinx uh, compared to our white counterparts. And so um, this can make it difficult to find somebody who who has a similar um, background and experience. And within that, though, so this is also challenging because I think there's also a misconception that the counselor has to have a lived experience or similar identities to help you with your concerns. And that's not always the case. And so I think if a counselor doesn't share similar identities, but has a lot of experience working with Latinx folks and understands these contexts, understands the, the structures, the, the family traditions, um, that that person can help you even if they don't identify as Latinx. And so asking your counselor about the experience that that they have working with Latinx folks or working with the concern that you want to address might be a better way to gauge to what extent they can be helpful. What I will say though, is that some of, if some of your concerns are really in, intertwined with cultural pieces or family pieces, for example, if you want to talk about the, the negative messages that you received either uh, growing up in school from peers or in the workplace about what it 
means to be a Latinx individual, that can be really helpful to have somebody who identifies as Latinx and had those those similar experiences as well. Um, so I, I want to make that distinction that it for for some concerns that may not necessarily be totally necessary, but for others it can be really helpful. And if it is really tied to those cultural components, then I do think it it would be helpful to find a therapist who identifies as Latinx. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Um, so Dr. Rios, uh, can you share with us how do you recommend that we talk? This is this can be tough, right? Like, how do you recommend that we talk to our Hispanics or Latino identifying families or family members about mental health um, as a young person, um, as a person who um, maybe is looking to not recycle trauma from, you know, like the family as someone who's looking to um, expand their horizons and maybe like wants to understand more about therapy and how it can be helpful to them. Maybe they had a bad test, right? Like, um, and, 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 and just need that support. Um, I know that like as a first generation college student, there were a lot of things that my parents just did not understand um, when I was right. It was like, well, why are you so stressed? And it was like, because I have this, this, this. Right. And it was like, oh, well, you have a home and, you know, and like and and so like how, how would you uh, recommend folks talk to people um, in their families about that? Oh, Chris, of all the questions, this is the one that I found the most challenging. Um, <laughs> I, I had a hard time coming up with an answer to this one. And the reason that this question feels challenging for me is because I think younger generations are experiencing a change in how they view mental health and reaching out for help as well, in typically more positive ways. right? And, and the other piece is that as these younger generations gain access to education, we're also acquiring new words to describe our experiences, to put words to our experiences. And in addition to that, I think the world that the young younger generations are navigating is is sort of a different world than our parents might have navigated right so all of this can create a divide in beliefs about mental health and quite literally the language that we speak within our families to try to describe these experiences right so in my work with college students i can talk with students who have tried to have conversations with families about, for example, how the, the physical ailments that they're experiencing are mental health related and not what they ate or their lifestyle choices. I also see this when fam with family dynamics, um, when family dynamics are having a negative impact on the student and the student tries to ask for something different from their family. And they're often unheard. Um, and there can be a lot of stigma about um, sharing quote unquote the dirty laundry outside of the family and family members may discourage the younger generations from seeking help, right? So all of these things definitely get in, in the way. Well, what I, I think there's also a history and like a religious background. I know that one of the barriers to us really moving forward as a family was you go to church and you confess and then you never talk about it again. And that was a really hard thing for me. And again, that generational thing that you're talking about where that was just not acceptable to me that no, huh, we're not doing that. But when I would put my foot down, I would get a lot of pushback as to, um, no, this is the way we do it. And you're being disrespectful. And that's not, you know, it's. They almost have like that, you know, 
uh, ride or die kind of mentality. And I'm like, um, no, that's, that doesn't work for me. It's toxic for me. And making that, you know, division and understanding what, and this is another struggle I had, especially coming from my family. It was like, what is my culture and what is family dysfunction? Because they were like all intertwined. Mm. And I thought it was all this. And I came from an alcoholic uh, family. And in my mind's eye, that was our culture. And it wasn't. And it wasn't until I was able to separate the two that I started really appreciating having brown skin, but then also recognizing that there's these family dynamics that I need to heal and talk about. Um, and, and I was able to separate them where before I ran from it all. I didn't want anything to do with my family. I didn't want anything to do with being Latina because it was just all jumbled together. And how do you, how do you separate that and have that conversation, especially with young people? I had a young man who his father had went to prison and he just had such a negative view of his family. And it was hard for him to love himself because again, it was just all jumbled together and, and trying to, you know, talk to him about making that separation. And they're two different things and you need to work on both different things and what you want to keep from your culture and what you can heal and not pass on to that next generation. Absolutely. And I often use the metaphor of a garden that our family is passing down this garden and they have planted seeds in that garden that that they have watered throughout the years. And this becomes our garden. But then when we get it and we kind of start going through all the plants that are in there, some of them are weeds and some of them are beautiful things. And so part of our process. That's that's perfect. You have the best metaphors. Yes. Yes. And so part of our work going forward is is being able to look through that garden and maybe we stop watering the weeds. Maybe we pull the weeds out altogether and we really start watering and fostering the beautiful things that were passed down from our families and from our culture. Now that we're talking about families, um, what is the best way to go about connecting with a counselor or a mental health professional? You've kind of mentioned that things are a little different now. So if someone is just kind of new to this and would like to reach out or, you know, wants to start the process and doesn't have a lot of support or a lot of people around them that have taken this step, what would be your suggestion for that next thing for that person to do? Absolutely. Um, I, I want to come back to a piece around like talking with family, because sometimes that's a, a part of that first step of being able to reach out for services, right? Whether maybe we're under parents insurance, or it is a part of the work that we're doing that we have to talk to them about some of these things that are happening, right? And so what I found the most helpful is actually the use of metaphors and stories, which is why uh, why these metaphors are coming out. And, so, and I think as Latinos, we're natural, natural stories storytellers, right? Sometimes like we get so lost in a story, we tell all these tangents and then we, we come back. Um, and I sometimes think, we don't come back. Know, it's sometimes like, we don't come back. back. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of it, right? Is, is there's so much that can be communicated. Three days later. It's like, oh, that's absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And so you'll notice, you know, I use the cell phone um, metaphor, the garden metaphor to, to kind of convey some of these ideas, uh, to convey sort of the moral of the, the story without having to get into specifics or jargons of mental health. And so this way we're speaking our family's language um, and how they understand the, the world around them, right? So I think that strategy can help. Snapping that. Right. right. 
The other strategy that I have found helpful is helping family members identify a time when they might have experienced something similar to what I might be experiencing. So, for example, in the past, I've been able to communicate to my dad the impact of a really stressful job situation on my mental health by asking him how he was feeling in a very specific time of his life when he experienced extreme work stress. And I remember at that, that time, it, it was so bad that he was having panic attacks. We didn't know it at the time. Um, we thought he he thought he was having a heart attack. So, you know, we thought he was having a heart attack and, and we would we drove him to see a doctor um, because that's how we thought to address the, the situation in the moment, right? And so now looking back at it, back on it, we, we understand that it was high stress and high anxiety because of his work situation. But by talking through the story with him, he was able to understand that I might be experiencing similar things and that my distress was very real too, right? So it also helped him have empathy in the moment rather than, well, what are you worried about? You have a roof over your head and you have food on your table, right? And so when we can kind of, um, help them get in touch with those emotions that they might have been experiencing. I think it, it can be a very connecting experience that that helps them understand what we ourselves are going through. Well, it's almost like past generations too will talk about, well, yeah, but when I was young, this is, you know, I got through this and I had to do this. And I don't think they fully understand sometimes that you think you got through that, but really what you were doing was drinking too much or, you know, so you have all these things that are connected that they don't connect it to where they feel like they were dealing with it, but it's like, um, no, you drank a lot during that time and it wasn't healthy. And there were ramifications of that and you, you didn't get through it. And, you know, on top of that, I think like specifically in Latino culture, there is machismo. And so being a young man who wants to talk to your dad about needing mental health, I think is, is just that uh, extra layer, right? Like it's like rub some dirt in it, you know, like Walk it go fight somebody and you'll be fine. You know, like yeah. <laughs> there it, yeah. it's just, it's heavy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And so trying to have these conversations with family, sometimes we can do our best to to try to explain what might be going on. But again, kind of back to that point that the world that they grew up in is very different from the world that 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 we have right now. Um, and there may just be a, a disconnect on how to address the situation. Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure we gave you the exact time <laughs> or the opportunity to answer how to connect with a mental health professional. Um, but are there two or three additional mental health wellness or wellness resources that we can share with our listeners or audience um, that you might recommend it, you know, whether they cost or, or maybe they're free, you know, you see like apps on your phone about like call map or whatever these things are. Um, it, what would you recommend or suggest for um, folks to support them in, in building a more resilient, um, stronger relationship with their mental health? So that's a, that's a great question. Um, and let me, let me speak to the piece around getting connected to a therapist, because I think that can be a really difficult and daunting process, especially if you've never done it before, you might be like, where do I go for this? Right. Um, and so I'm actually a big fan of therapist directories. So it's kind of like a phone book for therapists. And so there are a few examples of this inclusive therapist.com and therapyden.com zencare.com 
and psychologytoday.com, which is probably the, the most used and might have a larger database of counselors. But what I love about these directories is that they have a lot of filters that you can select, right? So you can start by searching um, for somebody in, in the same city as you, especially if you're looking for in-person services, or you can go statewide if you're okay with Zoom or, or telehealth services. You can narrow down your search um, by things like insurance, gender, language, specialties, even communities that they serve. So once you apply those filters, the list that you get is a list of all the, the therapists who fit those criteria. And then the other cool thing is that in these directories, you can also see the therapist's short bio and a picture of them. Um, and so you can get a sense of who you might want to work with. And so you can even reach out to the, the therapist directly from these directories. So it's pretty cool and efficient. I haven't even heard of any of those sites. So yeah, this is really valuable information. You said them pretty quickly. Would you be able Absolutely. to like email those to me and then I can like yes. share them on the Facebook listeners. as well? Yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> yes. It absolutely. Maybe we can put these online as, and as as well. Maybe a list of some some apps and a couple other resources that I'll that I'll share with you. And so, in terms of getting connected with a therapist, I also want to share a couple of other uh, other tips. Um, so, services right now are pretty saturated with the the stress that the pandemic has placed on all of us, right? And so, if you reach out to the therapist and they tell you that they're full. Ask them if they have a wait list and if they do ask to get on their wait list and maybe even ask like how long it's going to be and that'll give you a sense of like if you want to wait or if you want to keep looking at other options. Or if they don't have a wait list, you might call them every couple of weeks to see if they've had any openings come up. Awesome. The other thing that I advise people to do is to ask if the therapist offers free consultations. So from the research, we know that the fit between the client and the therapist is really important to the progress that the client makes in therapists. Right? So if you don't click with your therapist, um, there's you, it's going to be really hard to, to, to feel safe or feel like you can open up about re these really difficult things. Right. Um, so the fit is really important. And what I like about consultations is that you'll get a sense for who the therapist is as a person, their style. Um, you get to ask about any questions that you may have about them, how they do therapy, um, their experience working with the type of concerns that you want to work on, or even the experience that they have working with Latinx folks. Well, and that's good that you bring that up because I know that there's been some people that I've talked to and like I'll bring up therapy. It's like, oh, I went once and it didn't, it wasn't very good. And so like they don't ever want to do it again. And so I have to like reiterate, yeah, it may have been that therapist, but you know, you should give it another try. Yeah, absolutely. We don't click with everyone that we meet, right? Same thing with therapists. You have to find one that, that you click with, that you feel comfortable with. This is such great information to me yeah. just because like I would have never known that I could like call someone up and be like, can we have a consultation? Cause I want to learn more about you. Like oftentimes, like you said, you open a phone book, you Google therapists in Greeley. And then you're like, well, this one looks like what I got, you know, kind of, uh, or you don't exactly. And it's, or like, you don't have it in you to keep looking through pages and pages of results. You go with the first one that pops up. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you yeah. know, Andrea, this whole conversation has just been amazing. I feel like we could be here for like hours, just like <laughs> unpacking and talking about stuff that we don't talk about. I and, mean, you know, obviously, you know, physical stuff, you see it, you know, you break your arm or something, you know that you can see that it's there, but mental health and just, you know, that mental 
you know, awareness of what's going on on the inside, because it's not a bruise on your arm is, is so much more difficult, but to kind of wrap it up, is there anything else that you would really like to share that we haven't touched on that you think that's, you know, really imperative that our listeners hear today? Absolutely. Um, reach out for help, whether it's the small thing, whether it's the big thing to reach out. And even if you're not at the point of feeling comfortable reaching out to a therapist, even to a friend to talk about these things, right? So um, Shrek says better out than in. I, I think that really applies to, to mental health. It works with health. everything. Yes, it works with so many things, right? But when we let these things fester and, and they get bottled up, they come out in these really explosive ways and we don't have control over them, right? And so all of that pain, all of that grief, it needs somewhere to go. So if you're not at the point of being comfortable enough to, to reach out to a therapist, please reach out to the people around you. Um, and, and that will make a big difference. So one thing that I've noticed is, you know, a lot of us talk about self-care and making sure that we take care of ourselves. And Chris and I don't make a lot of money doing this podcast. But one of the things I've noticed is when we get together and we have these conversations, it's just, it, we have so much fun and it just, you know, it feeds my soul because we're having really good conversations that no one else is having in our community. And we just, you know, Chris and I click well together and to talk about these really important issues <laughs> and to make sure that we're sharing it with our listeners, it definitely feeds my soul. So after we do a podcast, it's just like, yes, that was so good. <laughs> it is. It's regenerative, regenerative. And I think like, it's just so much fun to be able to like, um, but like, like I said earlier, demystify issues or opportunities or resources that like people don't talk about and do it in a way that can be a conversation, right? It, 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 it doesn't have to be this giant event or, or an exchange of minds. It's, it's just an opportunity to hear from experts like you, Dr. Rios, and really kind of learn from your experience get the best metaphors. I think you have like yes. the, the best, like my hat is off to you. <laughs> and I have um, one more for you before. Oh, okay, before good, I good. Make sure you send them email and yes. so we can share. Yeah. Them. Yes. Um, and, and, and just like the opportunity to, to have like real authentic conversations about the things that impact people who may be very much like us or very different from us who identify along the Hispanic Latino identity in some way. Um, and for those who don't as well, because they understand a little bit more about who we are, um, as a people, as a community, um, and how we we react to issues or opportunities or situations um but please share your share your resource your your metaphor <laughs> my metaphor um so mental health is also kind of like um a bank account right that if you're always having negative experiences it's kind of like making withdrawals and eventually you're going to go into the red right and so to balance ourselves out we need to make deposits as well so the more withdrawals we're making the more deposits we need to be making and making sure that we're we're balanced out in that way um and so as we think about continuing to move through the the pandemic right we're having a lot of withdrawals and so um, it can be helpful to think about how we can make those deposits. And it, it doesn't also doesn't have to be huge, grand, costly gestures. Like I had one client who I had her kind of think about what are the things that she enjoys 
is. And she said, you know, sometimes just like a hot shower, like at the end of the day, that can feel so nice, right? Or like the conversations that we're having here today, those can be really soul filling, right? And so all of those little things add up. And so just being mindful of how much we're bringing in as well as um, what's what's coming out of the bank. Oh, you're part of my deposits. This, Dr. Rios, this was like the hugest deposit that I've made to the bank account (laughs) this week. And I think I was in the red. (laughs) It's like not even halfway through the month. Um, But I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, We want to thank you so much for taking the time, um, you know, after work, after a busy schedule to really connect with us today. And I want to thank you on behalf of our audience as well, because this is an opportunity that we've all had for learning um, and, and really an opportunity for us to all just kind of gain the insight of an expert like you. Um, I want to thank our audience for listening to this uh, podcast. And I want to remind everyone that they can join our conversation online via Facebook, Instagram, or on our LinkedIn at Latino Northern Colorado, or you're free to email us as well at latinonoco at gmail.com. Until next time. Uh, this is Latino Northern Colorado signing off. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.